Hello and welcome to Quadrivia, the podcast that takes you a step beyond trivia and into the minds of the people who craft it. I'm Jeff with RMT Trivia in Chicago. I'm Calvin with Footnote Trivia in San Francisco. I'm Jason with Liquid Courage Entertainment, temporarily based on South Padre Island, Texas. And I am Corey with Third Degree Entertainment in Eastern Washington. And welcome to this episode of Quadrivia. Whoa, 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 Corey, throwing the shade, not including Northern Idaho on this episode, huh? <laughs> well, I'm not currently in Northern Idaho. I am active over there still. <laughs> uh, I noticed you didn't mention Chicago. Yeah, it's 30 episodes in. Everybody knows I'm from fucking <laughs> Chicago by now. I never well, shut I up about it. Well, I have to say Idaho every time. You know what? <laughs> here's, here's something that's been missing from uh, Quadrivia for a while. Talent? No, that <laughs> PBR can opening. Oh, oh, I will see you and raise you. Hold on. Oh, oh that's <sighs> nice. That is the cap being removed from a plastic jug of Captain Morgan. <laughs> Not quite the same sound as that nice cork pull. Oh, but, but uh, it's the same, I promise. <laughs> what's everyone What's everyone been up to? Do you want to tell us why you're in uh, Texas? Or do we want to uh, just I can... skip right over that? <laughs> yeah, it, it's a bit of an elephant in the room, so I might as well take a few moments. Uh, there is a slight family situation going on. Uh, long, long story short, my mother-in-law suffered a minor, I, I can't even say minor, a uh, moderate accident uh, the weekend before we started recording this episode and broke uh, her shoulder effectively. So we got in the car, drove 24 straight hours, and were there to effectively be her left hand. Yeah, that's... That's a hell of a thing, man. I'm, I'm happy to hear that you guys made it down there safe and sound. I hope your mother-in-law is doing better. Yeah, I cannot stress enough because I'm going to make her listen to this episode. First of all, hi, Elaine. Uh, and second, <laughs> she's doing fine. She really, truly is to any of our listeners who may be sending care packages of rum to South Padre Island, Texas. Uh, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying don't feel obligated to. <laughs> Calvin, I've missed so you. Oh, yeah. I missed you as well. It's been a while. I know. What, when is the last time you and I were on an episode together? Because we have very dichotomous schedules. I think it was in the teens, man. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oof. But we have this episode, and I think we have a pretty fun one this time around. Oh, right. go on. <laughs> tell, tell us more. You know, well, actually, don't tell us more. If you can hold just a minute, because <laughs> yeah. I feel like we're about to jump right into our roundtable discussion. Before we do that, I would love to take a moment, if you gentlemen are amenable, and read a listener email that we got. Oh, the email. Okay. From the one listener we have, we got an email, so we might as well acknowledge it. <laughs> we have at least one. <laughs> so from our dear friend Addie Lewis, located across the pond in the United Kingdom, uh, here it is. This is in reference to... Uh, an episode a week or two ago from time of recording about music questions. So here it is. Addy says, hey guys, love the music episode as always. And I have an anecdote to share. Something not discussed in the episode was the issue of cheating on music rounds. Shazam makes name that tune rounds trivial and it can be frustrating trying to deal with it. First of all, I'm not even going to acknowledge the terrible pun on uh, trivial Shazam. But... <laughs> Yeah, that is something that uh, we did not get to in detail on the music episode, and it is something to be taken into consideration whenever you're doing specifically music questions, because everybody, even if you don't use Shazam, you have uh, the Google microphone on Android devices. I'm sure 
that uh, Siri picks that stuff up. And it's just, it is so easy to cheat on that. But I digress. That's just my opinion. Let me get back into Addy's much better story. He continues, unless, of course, you've met at a quiz I used to host. This was a standard verbal quiz, and I did a classic artist in tune one point each music round. I'd play a 40 second or so clip of all 10 songs, then repeat. On one occasion, the less than honest team gave away what they were doing by replaying the first couple of seconds in the round in and amongst other songs before I'd actually repeated the track loud enough that it was audible on the other side of the small (laughs) bar. So either they were directly shazamming the song or else recording my audio and shazamming it at their leisure at their table. Which makes a little sense if you're the kind of cockwomble, his words, who cheats at pub <laughs> trivia, but not, but not if you give the game away by thinking I'm somehow not going to recognize track one of my own edited set list during track six or seven before the second playthrough, especially if the source of that music is your table and not the actual <laughs> music system or speakers in a different part of the pub. So yeah, that, that team was essentially caught and zeroed for the round, he continues to say. We didn't bother disqualifying them, though, would have if they had actually won. Just wanted to share that funny story with you. Most cheats aren't so easy to catch, but this was just hilariously inept. And keep up the good work. Thank you so much for that, Addy. Uh, we yeah, needed that you, laugh Addy. today. Well, uh, Corey's reverse music round that he did for us during that episode. <laughs> I don't think anyone's shazamming those. So Yeah, be able to shut that down pretty quick. Another positive that for that. Yeah, that's- that's, that's one of the reasons I, I use that particular uh, format or, you know, three or five second clips of songs. Make it small enough that they can't Shazam it. Because these days, too, not even just the phone. I noticed, uh, well, no, this is on the phone. But I noticed that on my phone in particular, I've got a Google Pixel. It, even when it's locked, uh, the lock screen will automatically tell me what songs are playing. I don't have to go to Shazam or anything. I can just leave it sitting on a table and it'll be telling me what songs playing in the background at a restaurant or wherever. Oh, yikes. So, yeah. Uh, And on top of that, I mean, uh, with smartwatches too, they can just tap their smartwatch and we have no idea that they're Shazamming. So, Right. And don't, don't forget Google Goggles. Those <laughs> technically exist. Yeah. 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 It can show you the answer in your peripheral vision. On a little... <laughs> this episode, uh, both sponsored and in no way sponsored by our Google overlords. <laughs> we know they're listening to us. Uh, should we, should we get right into it and jump into the round table discussion? Calvin was going to lead us there and then I derailed us. Yeah. Um, Well, Eddie had a lovely anecdote about a cheating team. Sometimes we have just teams that are not cheating and are just very, very good at trivia. So this episode's discussion is about those very strong teams, those teams that come in at the top, if not the top, day in and day out. And what do we as trivia hosts do to deal with that kind of thing? You know, I heard the air quotes when you said those teams on that. Right? <laughs> we know, we all know exactly what kind of we teams these are. We all have a story or more about that one team or that one team that, yeah, I think I think every trivia host knows that feeling. And I think every trivia player has come across competing against that team if they are not that team themselves. So this is going to be a somewhat opinionated uh, discussion topic, I fear and 
am I aroused by? <laughs> <laughs> I guess for starters, we should probably kind of articulate what do we mean by a strong team? It generally means that they're people who do well at our games, but more specifically, like what makes them so difficult or not difficult, that's not the right word, but like what makes our task so difficult in accommodating them? So kind of like, how would you describe your strong teams? What's either, do they just know a lot? Do they work well as a team? I I think for for me, and I think that this could be said for most strong teams, uh, it's the couple of teams that I have that are really strong players just overall at trivia. And not only are they good players, but they know and understand my game. They've been coming to my game long enough that they know where to look for clues. They understand the mechanics of the different things that I do. I can't throw them curveballs that they aren't ready for in terms of game mechanics. No matter what I do, they've seen it before because they've been coming to my show for eight years. So they're strong as a as as just a player unit like they know a lot of information but then they're also strong because they have the most experience at my game of any other teams because they've been coming the longest uh i get what you're saying on that jeff um as as some of you here on the show know and some of the listeners know i have a at least in my live shows and to a point in my streams i have a very gamified kind of format and i have found like you said that Teams who have been around for a while and they understand not just the ins and outs of that format, but the ins and outs of me as a writer tend mm-hmm. to have a big leg up on everyone else because they know, for instance, oh, I'm really, really good at literature and this host does not write hard literature questions. I should put high points on this round uh, because I know there's going to be a couple questions in there, that kind of thing, basically. Yeah, exactly. So knowledge and familiarity with the writer definitely helps. And, and some companies out there don't have that as a disadvantage the way we do because they have a team of writers who just sit there as monkeys on a typewriter (laughs) and just churn out content boy i need one of those teams (laughs) uh cory what about you what do you think uh encapsulates what a strong team would be at one of your events you know i i think it really uh it's kind of been covered for me already it's more those teams that are familiar with me and my style um, because I do tend to, I know that you, for instance, you, you have kind of a format of questions that you're going to ask. There's always art and history and always at this and always in that. Uh, but for me, it's, it's so all over the place. And so those teams that know to come to expect that, um, and are familiar with my writing style and the way I sneak like little, uh, hints into some of those questions, those are going to mm. be the strong teams, just the consistent players that are in there. They know me. They know how I operate. Um, other than that, it's just the smart ones. <laughs> uh, I do tend, without hurting the feelings of any of my players, whom I love so much, uh, I've always been pretty open about the fact that I don't host like the smart Jeopardy trivia I host come get drunk, have fun trivia. And uh, <laughs> that's usually wrong the players that, that <laughs> exactly. And that's typically the players that I do get. But every now and then you'll get those really competitive, really smart, really intelligent people that come in and uh, these questions that are just meant to be more fun are kind of a breeze for them. Mm-hmm. And they, they blow through it and then 
you know, either other teams complain that they lost by so much, or that team complains that it's not hard enough. And but those those are the ones. Either the super smart, super competitive teams that are expecting, you know, some uh, Trebek action, or the ones that are always coming in and know how I operate. One more thing to add to that. I think in addition to knowing a lot and potentially playing a lot of trivia prior or like either our games prior or other games prior, I think good teams are able to communicate well with each other. I think that teams are able to discuss what are good answers, what might not be a good answer. And when they're kind of warm towards an answer to be able to iterate on that and encourage their teammates to keep on going and then focus on the important things. Uh, that's also another dynamic that I think is really important because, uh, for example, like Jeopardy is played by one person, but I think mm-hmm. all of us, we all have teams. So being able to work together as a team is another characteristic, I think, that a very strong team has. Yeah, I remember the um, the Good Job Brain podcast, their team, when they would go play live, I remember hearing them speak about it first. Um, them talking about how confident they were in their answers to each other. So if they had an idea, but they weren't super confident, they would say like, I'm 60% confident. Or or if somebody knew something on lockdown, like the other podcasts, or we've even used it here. uh, I have thunder on this, or, you know, just just saying I have this on lockdown, you know, like, being able to communicate strongly, like you said, uh, and understand each other's shorthand is definitely a big, a big plus. Yeah, what I was uh, effectively going to say kind of dovetails into that. I think the makeup of a strong team really defines the strength of the team because you can have SMEs, subject matter experts in all kinds of different categories. And I'll throw it to uh, the Triviality guys on this one, as we're mentioning other podcasts, because to me, they're uh, this pub trivia team, Pain Don't Hurt, that used to be very competitive at my weekly shows. And it's because they had an entertainment guy. They had a sports guy. They had a hard sciences and geography guy. They had a Ken which we still don't know what his uh, specialty is, but he's very good at trivia. So there was always somebody that had some thunder, as you said, on, on one of my kind of bog standard categories. So if you have a good makeup of a handful of people who are very strong in, in some categories or others, you can really put together almost a super group of trivia and, and go dominate your local live space. Or virtual space. I know of one team that, uh, they didn't know each other before joining a trivia team, but they joined together solely to play trivia. They're just a bunch of strangers and they're very good. So it's even easier to find trivia enthusiasts to partner with during virtual games. Well, this is very true as well. And to that, I will say that there is no better social distancing than <laughs> playing live trivia online. <laughs> those of you who get that fucking get that <laughs> all right so we we kind of have a good idea of what makes up and what powers these strong teams to be as strong as they are so you have a strong team that's been coming to your game what's your first action how do you guys respond to that uh liquor i i buy them shots <laughs> and hope that they work yeah the first time i hope it's a fluke by the second time i'm like eh, maybe they're good and when they went for the third time in a row i'm like okay i might need to do something about this oh when you said liquor i thought you meant for yourself <laughs> like self-medicating not for them that's actually a good i should buy the teams more beers oh no i'm absolutely go- <laughs> poisoning the well <laughs> here you go guys have as many as you like <laughs> or both right what's what's limiting you there yeah exactly there's there's an idea right there since 
since most of our live shows give away like beer and gift cards to the venue as their prizes, why don't we just make those prizes mandatorily redeemable in liquor at the start of the following game? <laughs> Say, oh, you won $50 worth of shots. Do them now. <laughs> All right. So besides booze, what's this... your what's your next go to? So first get them drunk. Then what do we do? That's such a good question that I don't have the answer for it. Uh, I can say this. The answer isn't always right, harder questions. In fact, I, I will soapbox this a little bit. There are two kind of directions you can go on this as your first thought. And it's, okay, I'm clearly writing questions too easy for the super team. Why don't I ramp up the difficulty? And you know what happens? They still win. Your average scores might be lower, but the gap between the great teams and the average teams is going to look bigger if you just jump up the difficulty scale. So the counterpoint to that is, why don't I make the questions a little easier? And then that team is just gonna have perfect nights after perfect nights after perfect nights. So fine tuning the difficulty in the aggregate of your uh, game is not necessarily the solution to balancing uh, some kind of super team from from running away with all your events as much as that might be your instinct to do yeah i i can from experience that the difficulty level of my live game over the last uh five years or so has steadily creeped up just a little bit uh because i'm picking up more and more teams that could operate at that level um but it started as a way to kind of do that and i learned exactly what you said all it does is it separates the pack. The good teams stay up at the top and then the weekly teams that don't, or I should say the, the teams that don't play weekly uh, are the ones that get caught kind of in the, in the sonic boom of these teams, leaving them in the dust. They, they just, you know, the password is nice metaphor. shockwave. Yeah. That's yeah. Thank you. God, my brain just stopped. Does anybody else smell toast? So, but what essentially has happened is is that my difficulty level has peaked up just a little bit over the last uh, few years or so, and that has done pretty significant damage to new players that come in looking for something a little easier, um, just because it's not as simple as as just like kind of a a, a regular pub quiz can be, mm. um, and so exactly like you said. It's 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 done exactly that. I I made the poor choice of trying to make things a little bit more difficult, and now I'm at a place where if I back the difficulty down, I'll have a lot of teams getting perfect scores, and so I'm I'm kind of you know hoisted on my own petard there. See, for me, that's the route that uh, that I would choose to take though. Um, if I notice that a team's coming over and over and they're just really crushing it, no matter what rounds I'm I'm uh, putting together, I don't have a problem with making it easier so that the teams who aren't doing as well, uh, one, will feel better about their performance and want to keep coming back, but two, will also have uh, a chance. You know, maybe it's a night where I have three or four teams that get a perfect score, and it's decided by a tiebreaker instead of just automatically going to that team that has been dominating. I'd be okay with that. Yeah, and that's that's a fair point for sure. My only concern uh, personally doing it would be, am I then writing a game that kind of mollycoddles 
that people have been coming out for a while? And does it become less of a fun experience for them if it doesn't feel as challenging? I think the the trick there is if you are reducing difficulty, make it fun. <laughs> like Like throw a absurd true or false round in where everyone's got a 50 50 shot but it's these really weird random things that most people aren't gonna know uh do something like that yeah i like i like that approach as soon as you said it i was like oh Mm -hmm. that's that's a good good call and that is that is a good type of question to kind of counterbalance things. I know I've done them before. I don't know about uh, the rest of you, but a good 50-50, everything is literally a coin toss because there's no reasonable way a standard person should have any thunder on any of these answers uh, can absolutely be kind of a, a playing field leveler. And also they can be fun. Like my famous slash notorious, is this the name of an adult film or a children's <laughs> book round? The whole thing was intended to be goofy and uh, knock some powerhouses on their asses. So mission accomplished, almost got fired. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like, like a straight up like wild card this game kind of thing. Like let's just shake it up a little bit with this um uh, brothel or salad dressing esque kind of this <laughs> or that game. Uh, who however, did that I round? Because that's who did the rancher ranch round. I, I don't I, remember, but I remember seeing a, it. I believe that's a Jackbox. Damn it! It is. Uh, You're right. There you go. But I think what that uh, that wild card esque kind of question alludes to is something that I've taken as a pinnacle for making more difficult questions. Which is my guiding mantra is. I don't want questions where people feel like they 100% know the answer. So if the good team still have to discuss and bounce between a couple of answers, then I think I've done about as good of a job as I could. If they just, if they're routinely picking the correct answer from their discussions or they're spending the entire time coming up with the right answer, then they're just a straight up strong team. The only thing I don't really want is a team like, oh, I know that 100%. And then they don't have to worry or panic or anything at all as the question's being asked. So I really, like my whole guiding mantra is uh, a team shouldn't know it 100% outright, or I try to minimize that as much as possible. Yeah, try That's to find- a good, It's a good benchmark for sure. Yeah, try to find some kind of question that has two or three equally kind of cromulent possible answers <laughs> in the space and, and watch them coin flip and, and decide back and forth crap is this yeah. you know remington or is this colt i know it's or, one of those 19th century <laughs> rifle manufacturers it's uh which one or is it's also Winchester. in the mindset of like it's got to be this answer right because there's no other way it could be that answer or that answer or that answer it's it's got to be this answer and i it, it there's like i think if i can get people to make a really confident educated guess that's the first step in challenging these strong teams so instead of just changing the, the general difficulty of your questions, even you know uh, whether or not you're going to do it overall or on a case-by-case or round-by-round basis, uh, is there any merit in maybe changing the topics that you write about to try to mitigate the, the distance between your, your heavy hitters and your more average teams? <laughs> well, I know somebody's going to jump in with the answer here. Uh, <laughs> 
And I cannot wait to hear the nerds get angry about the answer. What happened? I, I don't know what you're talking about, Corey. I, I never changed something. my categories, honestly. Those... 80% of my game has been uh, the same for 10 years. The, the strong, nerdy teams never do well on a pop culture round. They never do round on a, you know, who's hot right now round or... Celebrities. Usually not on the music rounds either. Celebrities, Uh, internet, uh, yeah, anything uh, you'd find. Reality television, if you will. Yes, anything you would find in like a supermarket uh, checkout line magazine. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, and people call that straight up trash trivia, but it's such a good equalizer. (laughs) It really is. And there's nothing wrong with knowing it or not knowing it. I mean, Mm -hmm. because it encompasses so many things that... Yeah, it's just, it really is a great way to kind of bring some teams down and give everyone a chance. Yeah, I think the really strong teams tend to be more academic. That's my polite way of saying nerdy. And (laughs) if you stick with kind of textbook, not metaphor textbook, but like literal school textbook stuff, they're going to know that outright, especially that's like what battle or what president so and so. So finding things that, you would encounter on a day-to-day basis and maybe outside of academia and outside of, I don't know, internet blog posts and stuff like that. That's, that's definitely a good domain to at least have a couple of questions, right? Like not the whole game. We're not saying 10 questions on celebrities, ready, set, go, but every mixing one or two in is about as fair as asking questions about the Russian revolution. I will tell you, though, that Rasputin was absolutely tabloid fodder. (laughs) (laughs) You mean Russia's greatest love machine? (laughs) Is there any other? (laughs) I think another another method that, that could be utilized is changing up the way you ask some of your questions. Um, and this actually came up just within the last week for us in the trivia writers co-op when we were uh, getting together and writing some questions. I don't remember who put the questions out there, but the way it was worded, there, there was one particular phrase where the rest of the question didn't matter. I knew immediately the answer had to be such and such. Because um, of one like linchpin terminology thing or or subtle clue or something like that. Is that what you mean? Exactly. Oh, is this? I was going to say that the context doesn't matter. I think that this was the the garden path question that me, you and Jason were kicking around. No, it wasn't that one. It it was, it it doesn't matter what you're saying. Uh, It was uh, specifically the phrase canonical five victims. (laughs) The the question doesn't ah, matter. Yeah, if that you is hear a canonical sure. five victims. Okay, yeah, yeah, that is going to be that's Jack the Ripper, hundred percent, exactly. Uh, and, and there was, I think, one other in that that same uh, grouping that that was similar, but but some phrases you just immediately it was know. white. It was Whitechapel. It mentioned Whitechapel and five canonical victims. Yeah, and those are the two big the two big giveaways. Yeah, yeah, the sum total of what I know about Jack the Ripper has just been discussed in the last 20 seconds. Yeah. Canonical 5 yeah. plus Whitechapel. Uh, then I know the, nothing the else. From Hell letter. Like, there's a few other oh, things. Oh, right, right. Yeah, I think 
really strong teams are really good at that word association. They hear certain phrases and either it's been used in other trivias or it's been used by in other more like kind of outside trivia game contexts. So if you say like, who's a famous female nurse, mm-hmm. there's basically one Miss Nightingale and that's, or you say oh. first black Supreme court justice, right? Like there, yeah. there's these things that people only like who uh, they associate strongly with a phrase and kind of like wording questions such that you tiptoe around these word landmine kind of things forces people to approach answers from a new angle rather than the tried and true common pathway that most people are acquainted with it. Yeah, Yeah. I think the term you're looking to use for those that I've heard at least in the last few months is Pavlov's. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, they just salivate at an easy 100% getting right question. Uh, And and shout out to our dear friend Lee over at Broken Buzzer who was on Twitch uh, every week doing uh, Jeopardy Bootcamp to try to train the strong players to be even fucking stronger for some reason. Uh, And they went every week into a bunch of different categories that people are weak on and, you know, gave you a list of those Pavlovs to memorize. Jeez. (laughs) Making our job infinitely harder. Thanks, Lee. (laughs) But uh, just to give you another example, Bachelor President. You guys know who I'm talking about, right? James Buchanan. Yep. Only thing I know about him. (laughs) Yeah, right. Like, it's just, it's a little word. Yeah. It's just Pavlov. That's a good. That's yeah. a good way of if that. If I say Monsanto, you have a ninety-nine percent chance of knowing the answer to the question. <laughs> but if I say Monsanto, what is it? Roundup. Exactly. Roundup. Yeah. Roundup. Yeah. yeah. Just little things like that. You you get rid of those those the Pavlovs there. You get rid of those. Uh, just certain or, insignificant seeming words, and it. It can take a hundred percent get question to a twenty thirty percent. Yeah, know, big big but differences. You could even do you can even do just even a simple substitution, um, like instead of Monsanto, uh, if the if the answer you're looking for is Roundup, instead of Monsanto, say some sort of you know define the company by its business acumen or something like that without saying the name of the company and just put that clue one step further from the question. Um, so uh, like for the canonical five or Whitechapel, you could say, uh, this, a a district in London or, uh, no, no less than five victims or just list the first names of the five victims. Just say, yeah, yeah, exactly. Whatever it is, kick the can further down the road on that specific Pavlov. And then they have a little bit more work to do, but they could maybe even still get there. Yeah, That's, and if the team discusses like, oh wait, he listed five people. I know Jack exactly. the Ripper killed five people. At least you get that discussion, and not just people being like, Jack the Ripper. Mm, yeah. End of discussion. We're yeah, like, what was the point of the rest of the question? He said exactly. Whitechapel. It can only ever be this. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, the wording that you use and the wording that you choose can absolutely uh, serve to, to level the playing field. But I also want to throw in that concern that if you get too obfuscating with your language it really kind of feeds back and rewards the players who can parse your weird ass grammar and your specific word choices more than uh say a casual or a semi-regular team could because they're not as familiar with you and your difficulty level and they don't know that your job is to write questions that they can get they just think you're out there to be a dick i just one last comment and that goes back to uh jeff and Corey's statement about regulars and i think there is this set of regulars who show up 
who don't win, but they show up every week. And I think they're the best because if you win all the time, I get why you come back. But if you don't ever win, a little part of me is like, why do you come back? Hopefully you just like the questions. So I I love a good perennial fifth place team because one (laughs) day they win Uh, and the room erupts because they're so excited for them. They're like my children that I have seen. (laughs) I've taught to appreciate the questions that I wrote. But um, asking those obfuscated questions, I feel, gives a shot to the teams who come a lot but don't win all the time. Yeah. So, like, there's there's still, like, uh, reasons to ask questions like that. It's not always necessarily just for the new team that just joined this week. I think mm. those perennial fifth place teams, as you put them. <laughs> we love our, our brass medalists so very much. <laughs> In addition to uh, true or false, or just slightly changing, changing the uh, wording on a question, what else can you do? Do you have any other uh, mechanics or, or other suggestions, things that you've utilized and uh, have found to work? Uh, double ins are a huge thing that I use. I will write a hard, you know, fine arts question, but I'll make a connection that has something to do with a combination of, you know, a sports term and, you know, a 90s song. And somehow they connect to make the name of this thing that you think your strong teams are going to know on the face of it. But you give them that gettable in. So even though you can't make it a hard question for your strong teams, at least you've made it a gettable question for the rest of the field. And remember, any points that nobody gets don't count. Yeah, The ceiling is that first place team, and you're trying to bring the floor up to them more than you're trying to bring the ceiling down to the average. That's definitely a good way of approaching it. And I think that's a really good kind of summary of what all of us are always trying to do with regards to strong teams bringing the floor up. Yeah, I agree with that one. I think Jason also, I think you do these questions more than anybody else I know, but the, the math questions where it's, it's built in where you need to know a different set of numbers from different places. So uh, like uh, the number of this movie uh, plus the number of these people in this situation plus something equals what? Um, actually, now that I'm saying it out loud, I don't remember if that was you or if that was another writer. <laughs> oh, I'll take credit. It's fine. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but I do, I do a fair amount of those questions. Uh, though the ones that you're talking about will show up more in my theme rounds than they yeah. will in my general knowledge rounds, just because I'm pinned to, well, all of these questions have to do something with geography and science, for instance. So I can't exactly throw a sports fact in there that is integral to the question, but to your point. Uh, If you make teams hit three or four different knowledge bases for one question, it does uh, give an advantage to the more casual teams who might just have one person out of four or five who happens to know this one thing. And then they can kind of jigsaw puzzle the answer together and and have a gettable shot on it versus your powerhouse teams where you have, oh, this guy knows Shakespeare lights out, but he doesn't know shit about Stephen King. Yeah. Yeah, that that was that was what I was getting at. The the more like you said with the double ends, like uh, it's kind of the opposite of that because it's uh, restrictive since you need to know all three to get points for it. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you throw in something that might be uh, a soft spot on your team, like your tough team, like, for example, one of my one of my really strong teams doesn't know food and drink stuff very well, but another one of my strong teams does. So that kind of puts food and drink up in the mix. But 
if I throw a food and drink context into a question that could handicap that team so that they don't get that extra clue and everybody else might if they, you know, know their food and drink stuff. It, it, it's it's an interesting way to think about question writing with the double ends or you need three points of reference to get a question. The more you mix it up, the harder it makes it, but you could specifically target the weak spots of your strong teams if you really wanted to be a dick about it, which sometimes I I try to do. <laughs> and and you should. Uh, for whatever reason, that got me to thinking of a whole category of questions that tend to play better for non-strong teams than they do for the strong teams, surprisingly enough, and that is uh, cocktail recipes. For yes. whatever reason, the more casual players are much better at being able to suss out questions on cocktail recipes than my powerhouses are, and I think... It's because drinking makes you dumb. <laughs> so logically, not drinking makes you not dumb. I don't know. I've been drinking out of a handle of Captain Morgan. Maybe my words aren't words. Oh, uh, I just want to chime in with the opposite. You were mentioning multiple ends to a particular question, but I think another fun, even the playing field thing is asking about a particular subject that no one knows about. So everyone has an equal shot at figuring it out or something that, or in a very similar manner, something that hundred percent people know about. So for example, like um, etymology of common phrases is you, most people are familiar with like English grammar and they stand a pretty good shot at kind of like guessing certain origins with enough hints provided. Or you can ask about like an obscure sport that no one plays and no one should watch. And then hmm. even like all the nerds are saying like, but we don't watch sports. It's like, you think these people who watch football every Sunday know anything about like horse polo or yeah. God knows what else, like Gaelic football or whatever it is. But obviously you don't make it all like rules based. And you, you but asking in a domain that like everyone's on equal footing is also, yeah. I think like where you pull nothing from domain knowledge and you have to pull everything from common sense. Right. That's a, that's another way of making things fair. You know, what you just said just brought up uh, something that's been in my life a little recently. I have a regular in my live streams. Uh, shout out to Katnip, by the way. She is a Lithuanian mm -hmm. who does uh, pub quizzes. And apparently they have a whole kind of different approach to, to pub trivia over there where it's more logical questions, lateral puzzles. You're not expected to know the fact of the ask, but you're expected to be able to suss out what makes the most sense to be the fact for the ask. And there's a lot to be Lithuanian said for that. <laughs> trivia streams I can follow because that sounds right up my alley. <laughs> uh, you, you know what? Actually, she's and uh, this is going to be not that great time, but she's actually doing a biweekly thing on a, a channel that I can post in show notes. I, I can give you an example of one very short one that I very, very liked. Oh, OK, go ahead. Uh, it's a sports and games question, and it's a very short question. It simply goes, uh, Axel Paulson was a person who helped revolutionize what sport. Oh, okay. Hmm. So I'm assuming that that's the triple axle of skating or exactly. double axle or whatever. Yeah, I think it was just it. the one axle. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like it's, it's, you could watch all the big four sports you want, but I think everyone, regardless of if you watch sports or not, has an equal shot at that question. Yeah. Because it's it's not a fact per se. It's something that you can suss out from 
common sense, like you said. That actually reminds me of one that I want to bring up, too, before we get off the topic of lateral riddles, basically, as, <laughs> as trivia questions. Uh, give me an Olympic sport where it is physically impossible to cross the finish line. I mean, what if there's like any competition doesn't have a like any like team versus team competition doesn't have a finish line, though? Well, I mean, yeah. and again, I, I gave it to you very, very yeah, briefly, yeah. but in an Olympic sport, which objectively has some kind of finish line, give me an example of one uh, where the finish line is physically impossible to cross. Hmm. Like, not you're not talking about a swimming event, right? Oh, I very much am talking swimming. Okay. Oh. It, it's one of those questions where, you know, the answer kind of hits you in the head. I'm like, oh, that, the finish line is the end of the pool. You can't cross the end of the pool. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, no, so it's a swimming events. Okay. So, yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah, just a type yeah. of question like that where you can't just straight up look that up or memorize it. Yeah. It's something you have to have a body of knowledge and the kind of clever mind that can wrap your head around the problem from not just a Pavlovian trivia perspective. I think questions that are, if you know the answer because you heard the fact, okay, you know, domain knowledge is fair game for trivia, but I think a good question also has to have a good reason behind it, right? So like, yeah, you know, what, since we're talking about sports, like what's the, what's the first uh, stroke that swum in a medley? And you have like a, theoretically mm -hmm. have a 25% chance of getting it. But if you stop... And you think a little bit. There's, there's only one, one that stroke makes sense. that's yeah. different than everything else. And there's a big reason why, you know, like you could, if there's a good reason behind the answer, not just because it happened that way. Right. I think it's not that arbitrary. goes far away into. Yeah. Anyway, that's a, that's kind of a digression, but I, I do agree. The, the answer there is doggy paddle, right? Yes. <laughs> oh, I was going to say the wife is out of town stroke. But, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, my God. <laughs> let's let's uh, let the listeners off the hook. Calvin, what is that stroke and why? Uh, it is backstroke because you can't jump into the water to start your medley directly into a backstroke. You have to start in the pool. So it has a different starting than every other stroke. Therefore, it's the first one. Yep. And even if you've never swam before... You should know, you should, could be able to get to the four. If, as long as you know the four swimming styles, I think you have a fair shot at that question. Oh, yeah. And it's a really good example of that kind of lateral kind of end. And I'm sure there's more that don't have to do with Olympic sports. Uh, should we look <laughs> into other examples of how we can equalize the playing field? <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what about um, stuff involving... Uh, strict wordplay like anagrams or crossword clues or anything like that that kind of takes you out of a out of a comfortable space and makes your brain do something totally different even if it's part of a question instead of just solving a regular anagram providing them with an anagram as a clue is like i don't know too many people who do entire anagram rounds all the time so it's not a common gear that trivia players have but mm. it's one that they some might excel at and so I mean, that's definitely something that could completely change the feel of an entire set of questions. Or not. Yes. I, I, mean, no. I, <laughs> no, I was, I was I, waiting to see if I anybody agree. transitions. <laughs> I was waiting to see if anybody transitioned into the ideas uh, that are adjacent to anagrams and wordplay, like add a letter, drop a letter, change a letter, because those yeah. are fun as hell to write first off. Uh, second, give you the multi-directional in because you're taking, for instance, the name of a film in the Criterion Collection, which movie buffs are going to have a better shot up and you're yeah. more likely to have those 
type of players on your strong teams, but then you're equating it to some ridiculous phrase. You wrote it two in the morning because you changed <laughs> one letter. Uh, and then your casual teams might be on your wavelength stronger than your power hitter is. And they just can't get the ask around their head in the time you give them to even suss out what you're looking for here. Yeah. I think I, my, my favorite drop a letter one is uh, the movie Obocop, where the <laughs> the murdered cop is brought back to life to play double reed instrument. <laughs> uh, I, I found that I can tolerate in a game like one anagram if I'm a player. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, mm. I think it's perfectly valid to have one. I think two is too many. <laughs> <laughs> now I will say if you're going to do an entire round about them, you're fine too. So the correct answer is either zero, one, or an entire damn round. Yeah. No middle ground there. <laughs> or just like crossword people are their own kind of mm -hmm. weird like trivia counterparts. And mm -hmm. I feel like good teams have a crossword person. So it like adding an anagram doesn't get you any closer to raising the floor, really. <laughs> I, I want to take a little tiny step back uh, to something that Jason just referenced. Uh, that being zero, one, or the entire round. And I think that's actually a really important uh, thing to touch on, uh, that having an entire round be a certain way can help the teams perform better on it because uh, they are getting their brain to think in that fashion uh, as opposed to having just like a one-off thrown at them. Um an example, to take it back to the, the backwards music rounds that I, I do, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if I'm just doing like a random music round where some of them are backwards and some of them are covers and some are really short snippets, things like that, people do so much worse every time than if I just do an entire round in one format because their brain starts looking for the, the patterns or the recognition of you know, consistently backwards music, or mm -hmm. they're consistent, they're, they're in that anagram mindset. Um, and so uh, I think that's actually a really uh, good point that was kind of jokingly made, uh, but absolutely valid. No, I totally get what you're, you're saying uh, off of that to follow up on me. And I, I want to bring up because I do this weird mechanics thing every Sunday that combines user requests with weird mechanics that I make up to make them gettable. If people ask me for, for stupid ass round ideas, not gonna <laughs> lie, that happens. But because it's presented in a random nature, my get rates are so much lower on average than they are in just my bog standard game because they have to change how they're thinking of every question one question at a time. I could be doing you know, a picture round with Venn diagrams and you have to identify where this particular thing would fit and then I switch over to a general knowledge question about puppies. And then I go back to an anagram question and then back to the puppies and then back to the Venn diagram. And it's it's that cocktail party kind of effect where you have to constantly change what you're mentally focusing on. And if you don't, it all just blends together. All right. Well, with that, unless anyone has any like last uh, last points on how you change your questions or your, your individual rounds, uh, I think... I want to know what you would do to adapt the entire game, the the way you present uh, your entire trivia show. 
to to kind of handle those stronger teams. Do you do anything that you uh, apply to the entire night or to the entire game? There's nothing that I do currently um, in my Twitch games, um, but in my real life game, I would I would purposefully do things to. Uh, make the weaker teams feel like they're doing better without actually affecting the ceiling, as we've been calling it, the floor and the ceiling. Um, I would I would put some easier questions in the later rounds that are worth more points, specifically for the purpose of allowing some of the weaker teams to catch up a bit so that they'd have a little bit more to wager with at the end. And then my live game had a jeopardy style wager where i'd say you're going to wager points based on this overall category and so i'd tell them the category and then they'd bring up their wagers and then i'd reveal what the final round was about and the wager did help uh in some cases the lower teams kind of overtake the higher teams especially if the ending category was one of the ones that the stronger teams was poor at um I, I want to say that I just did that to have the game be a little bit more fair, but in, in honestly, I just kind of built the game that way and it kind of ended up having that function without me planning on it. But I, I mean, I don't do, I don't do too much. Like the, I don't have a, um, I don't have like an underdog score boost or anything like that. I, I've seen in a couple of other games. You don't have a blue shell equivalent in your game? No, no, no blue shell, no blue shell. It's it's Although hard to find a... a way to blue shell in such a way that is fair and equitable too, for what it's True. worth. Yeah. So we're saying Mario Kart's bullshit and broken. <laughs> but we I, all knew that. I, yes. I should yeah. say band appeals. Um, a, a very long time ago, the first couple of years that I was hosting, I did have the last place team, the team that came in last. Um, I had them choose the final category for the next, the following week. So if they lost consistently, they could maybe get an edge up in the in the end category by saying, I'd like to have a final category about Broadway musicals or something that they knew really well. Uh, but I, st- I stopped doing that because I found out people didn't like being recognized for having the lowest score. So when I said, you guys have the worst score. What do you want for next week? They didn't appreciate that. Really? So, yeah, it's surprising. I, mean, I at, at, my, uh, at my live shows, most of my live shows, uh, we do a, a whole big thing at the end where the lowest scoring team uh, gets a prize. And it's usually either a bag of dum-dums or a bag of airheads <laughs> or a box of ding-dums. Uh, and it, you know, as soon as all the scoring is done, I, I open up the score sheet and I say, all right, you know, here's your, your scores. When you hear your team name, make some noise. Uh, where is team so-and-so? And they'll cheer. I'll go, with the lowest score of the night, 22 points got you, uh, made you tonight's dum-dums. Here you go. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, teams, I, I've had to institute rules where I wouldn't give out the dum-dums or the airheads to teams that are intentionally losing. <laughs> See, that's that's <laughs> so, where my head goes first, is that yeah. concern for exploitability in both Jeff and uh, Corey's ideas. If, if you reward failure, people will aim to fail. Yeah, take a yeah. take a dive for the ding dongs. Who wouldn't do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you know you're not going to get first, you might as well get last. Yeah, because getting fifteenth doesn't really mean much. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a, a spokesman for our generation once said, "If you ain't first, you're last." 
Exactly. <laughs> I have ideas about this. Oh. Uh, oh yeah, that's yeah. true. I was yeah, gonna no, say. Yeah, no. Most of my live game is kind of either intrinsically or innately uh, designed around trying to be as balanced as possible. I have some mechanics that that a lot of other live shows don't do uh, for that reason. And my live streams do them to a point about as much as the, the architecture lets me. Uh, but a couple big things that I do in my games to, to try to mitigate the difference between like first and eighth place uh, to count, counterbalance those, those strong teams. First off, every team uh, gets in a 50 question game in my live setting, five cards. Those cards are all single use cards. Each one of them will give you a correct answer uh, when you redeem it instead of answering the question. So first of all, you're getting 10% of the questions for free, which advantages the average teams more than the strong teams. Uh, second, I have as an ability on one of those cards, you get it right, but you also have to pick another team that got that question wrong and give credit to them also. That intrinsically always benefits the lower players. And then the uh, other ability that one of those cards has is to take credit away from a team of your choice that got it right. <laughs> and this is the biggest sticking point in my live games. People have a love-hate relationship. I call it a Scrooby card. It's, it's shamelessly stolen from Jackbox. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, you want to win? You want to be really, really dominant? Guess what? There's nine teams who have a bullet in the chamber. And now they're pointed at you. So uh, there's there's some metagame strategy that goes on hard as a result of that. Yeah, I feel like you either keep it completely fair for everyone or you go just full committing to this game kind of mechanic. Of... Now, now, before you go any further, I would argue that my game is still fair because it's not like yes. one team has five of this card and you know, nobody else does. They all have the exact same tools. They're walking in with the same ability to win outside of their knowledge. It's just the application of that in the moment and some game theory that gives some teams the ability to even the odds a little bit more. So here's here's a quick question about the mechanics of that. If like, let's say if pain don't hurts in the game and three people try to use their Scrooby card on that team, that question that equals them only losing points once, but three teams losing their cards, correct? So there are a lot of uh, iterations that I've gone through to figure out how to manage this rule set as the rules have evolved over literal years. If I remember right, the most recent iteration was as follows. You have to write the name of the card that you intend to use. So you can't change it up after the fact. Mm -hmm. You then have to choose one team that is eligible to have that card applied to them, either a team who does not have credit uh, or a team that does, etc. Uh, and then lastly, I pick a random order for you guys to apply them in. So three teams may intend to screw pain, don't hurt. Only one has to. And any other cards that don't get used for logical reasons, uh, you still get the credit for using it, but there's no penalty that comes to another team. Oh, okay. It's not the perfect way, but it's the way that's worked the best for the longest. Yeah. But that's definitely at least something that if a strong team is expecting to go the whole night without getting screwed, they're probably going to be very wrong about that. You'd be surprised. Some people enjoy the uh, the counting. I have a team uh, at one of my live Wednesday shows that keeps a track of every time they've been screwed. I think the record is 11 times in one game. Oh, jeez. They wear it as a badge of honor. <laughs> That's like a fifth year questions, right? Yep. <laughs> Good Lord. 
<laughs> you know, I've noticed, and and I don't, I don't think I really did this intentionally. I didn't really realize it until you know now while we're recording this episode and, and talking about the the subject. But uh, honestly, I, I think that my audio round, because I do have an audio round every single game, is a bit of a built-in equalizer for me. Mm. Uh, as those stronger and more academic teams generally don't do as well on the audio rounds. Um, and I, I wonder why that is. It's basically a double round. Uh, all my other rounds, you know, one answer is worth one point. Uh, but in the audio round, you get one point for the artist and one point for the title. So that one round is worth 20 points compared to the uh, 40 from the other four rounds. And it has made you know, a significant difference in the past where uh, teams that just generally didn't do as well on the rest of the rounds were still you know, second, third place. They were up there doing all right because uh, they did well with the music. And I've gotten complaints about it too. Uh, typically from the more academic teams who sucked at it, but <laughs> fuck them. Like, I have fun with the music rounds, and that's what I'm there for, for yep. me to have fun. <laughs> that's the big takeaway. Don't worry about the strong teams being strong. Just make sure that you go there and Corey has fun. Exactly. But uh, unless anybody else has any final notes, um, I think the big takeaway here is, we don't know how to deal with strong teams and we're waiting to hear from you to tell us how to. And if you're one of those strong <laughs> teams, um, occasionally go play somebody else's game so that we feel better. Oh yeah. You know, I, <laughs> occasionally as, as we're trying to transition away from this, I, I can't believe I completely spaced it, but uh, I, I had a team like that. I mean, I've, I've had quite a few strong teams that would last for a while, but at this one particular venue, I had a team that was coming for, months I, we're talking close to a year they'd come nearly every week and they probably had an 85 to 90 percent win rate um and i would try anything i could think of to make them lose to the point where uh, i would handicap them every they, if they went you know five weeks in a row winning then i would you know, handicap them five points or whatever. I would give other teams the chance to pick the rounds for the, the next week. Um, and I never did figure out how to deal with them. I mean, they just eventually, uh, things fell off. I'm no longer at that venue. And that team wound up like kind of breaking up and, and splintering off. But I never figured out how to deal with that team. And that's that's going to happen sometimes. Some teams are just good at everything. You you get the right group of people and they're going to do well. Um, and if anyone out there has figured out how to handle them, holy <laughs> shit, send us an email and let us know, please. <laughs> yeah, they're more of a bullet to dodge than a wounded to clean. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you have thoughts, if you are one of those strong teams, if, if you want to pipe in kind of like Addy did at the beginning of the episode, feel free to shoot us an email about our roundtable discussion, uh, your thoughts, your opinions, any questions you would like to hear us follow up on since we didn't cover everything we objectively never do. Uh, send an email to us at quadriviapod at gmail.com and make sure you put in the subject line, Corey's beard. Yeah, <laughs> I'm okay with that. All right, well, have a good night. Uh, should we move in? 
<laughs> no, no, we got we have more stuff to do, Corey. You can't run away. I want to ask oh. a question from you. All right. Uh, should we get into the keyword challenge, gentlemen? Yes. All right, 30 episodes in. We'll take the uh, five-second version of how this works. Somebody sent us a random keyword, and we're going to spend 10 minutes writing a single trivia question that incorporates it, either in the question itself or in the answer. We are going to do our level best to incorporate it as, uh, how do I put this, as the thing you wrote as possible. So, for instance, if you wrote, for whatever reason, Diana Ross and the Supremes, that's what we've got to work with. We can't just branch off and go Diana Ross or the Supremes or talk about tacos or whatever. Is that, uh, does that seem cromulent to you guys? Yeah, I'm down That's for some fair. tacos. I am too. But this uh, has this week's has nothing to do with them, unfortunately. And I would give you a dollar if you can somehow connect it. Uh, as I take a look, we're actually going to pull right. this one from our uh, emailed fan and one-time guest on this show, Addie Lewis. Hailing all the way from Dumfries in uh, Scotland in the UK. And the keyword we have to work with this week, eh, it's kind of problematic. It's a bit of a catch-22. Oh, really? What is it? <laughs> it's Sophie's choice. Knew it. <laughs> it's like rain on your wedding. No, that's a different thing. Uh, catch-22 is our keyword. So if you guys are ready, uh, let's break, let's think, and come back with our best shots at a question that has to do with it on the other side. Okay. Hey everyone, Jason here. While the host and I step away to think about our keyword challenge, we just wanted to remind you that you can check us out online at QuadriviaPod on Twitter, on Facebook, just search for Quadrivia Podcast, and you can always email us at quadriviapod at gmail.com. We're always happy to hear from you. And now, back to the show. And welcome back, listeners. I know it's been forever and a day for you. It has been a brief 15 minutes tops for us, mostly because I had to <laughs> go to the bathroom. Sorry for the delay, guys. Are we ready to present these questions? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Corey sounds sheepish as always, so let's go with Jeff first, if you're ready. Bring us uh, whatever thunder you have on today's keyword challenge, which again, brought to us by our sweet friend Addie Lewis in Dumfries, Scotland, that is in the United Kingdom, is Catch-22. All right. Well, just like everybody else, when I hear the phrase Catch-22, I immediately think of ska music. So here is my question. <laughs> oh, okay. As a genre of music, ska has been around for quite some time. It began in Jamaica in the 60s with first wave artists like Desmond Decker and Toots and the Maytals. Continued in England in the 70s and 80s with second wave bands like Madness and the Specials and became popular in the US in the 90s with third wave bands like Catch-22, Less Than Jake, and what band that asked us to turn the radio off with their major label debut album in 1996? Jeff's going to be so mad at me when I don't know the answer to this. I don't know, I think I know this, but... I've never listened to them. I, if it's who I think I, it is, I'm only aware of them through long roundabout means. Uh, so I, I have nothing to really like latch on to, no anchor here. But since the other two are already dropped out, 
I'm well, I mean, I have guess. guesses. I just don't oh, have well. a good guess. Well, just okay. hit, us, hit us with the guesses. Uh, and I'll tell you if I I've heard of them. I can only think of this being either Mighty Mighty Boss Tones or Real Big Fish, both of which I'm pretty sure Jeff is cringing at right now as a <laughs> diehard ska fan. <laughs> well, he's like, those was, mainstream posers. <laughs> I was thinking Real Big Fish as well. I was thinking Mighty um, Mighty Boss Tones. <laughs> I am so, sitting here flipping a coin right now. Do it. Uh, you know, I I think I would recognize that album title if it were Boss Tones more than if it were Real Big Fish. So if I'm the deciding vote, I'm going to say The Fish. Is that <laughs> your final answer? Apparently. Yes, because I don't have one. That is, that is the correct answer. The short Woo-hoo! version. Okay. The short version of that is name literally the only popular U.S. ska band right. that made <laughs> any progress on any on any charts. Um, See, Jeff, the impression that I get is that Boss Tones were also in that mix. They were, but their debut was much earlier. And I did catch that very not so subtle Mighty Mighty Boss Tones reference in that little wording there. Damn Um, right, you did. (laughs) (laughs) When it comes to third wave ska in America, that was the, the 90s ska revival for a short time in the late 90s. The big names there, of course, were the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, like you said, and Real Big Fish. Those are really two the only two that made a big enough impact outside of the little ska communities catch 22 though uh one of my most favorite ska albums of all time was their album keys be nights if you are a fan of ska uh or if you like the idea of ska or you just like good music you should 100 listen to catch 22's album keys be nights this has been album <laughs> album recommendations with jeff so besides the overall crazy length of that question any uh thoughts or comments it was a whole lot of words for name a ska band from the 90s yes it was (laughs) no that's yeah i I don't know enough to criticize or compliment this question it was words 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 name a ska band from the 90s that's correct okay um Uh, i had an aunt or have an aunt that was big into real big fish. And so that was literally the only, only thing I had putting me anywhere near the answer. Um, right. But was she real big into real big fish? <laughs> yes. Maybe. <laughs> probably. She was the aunt. She went off and studied in London and now like runs a uh, art gallery in New York City. So that's the kind of person I would think is a big fan of real big fish right <laughs> the whole like boho or i don't know <laughs> shut up right. calvin <laughs> give us your five favorite ska albums and then we'll move on oh god uh i only know this band called rx bandits because they're from california oh my god i love them yeah. we should stop talking about ska right now <laughs> this wasn't meant to be a segue <laughs> But we can do our Scott episode another night. Um, who's next for coming back to catch 22 questions? Uh, I'll do it. Let's go with Corey. All Why right. not, right? I, <laughs> I actually took a, a little bit longer and I wrote two questions here. Uh, the first one that I'm going to read to you. Damn it, I thought because, we talked about this. Because Jason presented me with a challenge right before uh, we went to break. So... Here is the Jason keyword challenge. Salma Hayek, who plays Teresa Taco in the raunchy 2016 comedy Sausage Party, (laughs) 
also starred in what 1998 Miramax drama about one of the world's most famous discotheques. This movie also featured some cameos from notable New York celebrities such as Donald Trump, Andy Warhol, and Art Garfunkel, who you may know as Nate Lee from the movie adaptation of Joseph Heller's Catch-22. The madman, he did it! I connected Catch-22 and tacos. And it only took 54 steps to get there. (laughs) That's right! (laughs) Because that is the movie 54 about the famous Studio 54. I have no words. I think now you owe me a taco. (laughs) Uh, I believe in Spanish that would be I owe you del taco. That's how that works, right? (laughs) Yeah, something like that. (laughs) I actually heard the taco I owe you. That's how it works in Spanish. (laughs) I I spent a long time trying to connect John LaHoy. Is that how you say his last name? LaHoy? Taco from The League? Oh, uh, La Joie. Really? Is it really La Joie? Yeah, Yeah, there's a J all up in it and everything. Well, yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, I tried to connect him and could not find us any ends. Uh, and then Salma Hayek came along. So, But now, here's my real one. The author originally wanted to use the number 18, as it's a lucky number significant in Judaism, as it represents high or alive, and was relevant in early versions of his best-known book. Unfortunately, another novel was released before his, using the word 18, uh, so his agent suggested a change. He tried 11 next, due to the number one coming up often in the dialogue, but then the original Ocean's Eleven was released. 17 came next, but because of the film Stalag 17, it was rejected, and 14 just wasn't funny enough, leading to him picking an insignificant number just because it sounded good. What is the name of the book in which this number plays a major role? (laughs) It's a lot of rejected numbers. (laughs) Right? You know, I actually think I knew one of these facts. I think the Ocean's Eleven thing uh, has come up in my just random trivial research before. But obviously, we know the answer to this because of the keyword connection in general. Uh, I'm just shitposting and saying Slaughterhouse-Five or Fahrenheit 451. (laughs) or uh, I'm trying to think of honest-to-God answers that people might give you that because there isn't a strong in except for some really obscure factness going on here. Uh, would make this a gettable question. So this is definitely what book with a number in its title makes sense in the timeline that I'm putting together here and doesn't include any of the numbers that he just said. Well, I actually, I did something here that obviously was just a a play and exercise, I guess. But if you read it carefully, I never mentioned that the number is in the title. I just say that the number plays a major role in the oh, book. Oh, you did, yeah. What is the name of the book in which this number plays a major role? Uh, and I mean, it's it's alluded to in the fact that we're talking about the numbers being in other titles of other things. Uh, but I do have teams that would look at that and they would say, oh, I bet it's not in the title. What's a, <laughs> what's a book centered around a number? Uh, so just a little extra layer that I threw in there that doesn't really work with you guys as obviously catch 22 is mm-hmm. kind of on the mind right now. But uh, if it, yeah, I, if, if it never said that it was in the title, I might say 19 for the, uh, for the gunslinger, the dark tower series ooh, by Stephen ooh, King. Yeah. But other than that, I catch 22 would probably be the first place that I lean, but for sure. Yeah. The, the proclivity of like low two digit numbers in there, I think, my logic head would kind of 
scan through numbers associated with books. And I feel like I would lock onto with, as we talked about in our strong team uh, roundtable, like 60% thunder. I think I come to the team and go, ah, this is either catch 22 or I don't know what this is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good, vague, and might throw some strong teams off. So I like it for those reasons. I also, I try to avoid putting any years in there so that younger younger teams might not realize that there was a Another. Ocean's <laughs> Eleven movie that came out in the 60s. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that would have them thinking about books, you know, from the 90s or early 2000s. I, I tried to throw some, throw them off things in there. No, I don't have all. real strong notes on this one. It's a good one. Appreciate it. Taco, Taco. one was better, but you know. <laughs> All right, Calvin, what do you got? Okay. Um, my question goes like, in Heller's novel Catch-22, Major Major's family owns an alfalfa farm for which they're paid subsidies to not grow alfalfa. In the United States, corn is by far the most subsidized crop. What are either of the next two most subsidized crops, both above wheat? So one, I think I have a guess on this. And two, could you say the name of that crop about seven or eight more times? Because I personally find it <laughs> hilarious. Alfalfa, 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 alfalfa. That's I've four. never heard somebody you... separate alfalfa into alf alpha. <laughs> Wait, you s say it for me one more time. Alfalfa. Alfalfa. Yeah, okay. almost, I, I was almost... a little more alfalfa. I got gotcha. <laughs> you. Yeah, were, you were hitting the F weird on that. I feel like and that maybe... was like little rascals alfalfa, not alfalfa. And you know what it is? I think I think it's my head being trained off of major, major. Uh, <laughs> major, that's... major, alpha, alpha. This is just a redundant question, man. <laughs> yeah. 22, major, major, alpha, Repeats. alpha. What yep. is this nonsense? <laughs> uh, but that said, uh, I have a guess on this. Jeff, I assume if you had to throw a guess, you and I would have the same guess on this? Probably, Let's yeah. change this question. I'm going to ask for both. So getting one oh. is only halfway there. So not, what is that one? That is now, not see. what it says on the tin, sir. <laughs> um... Well, hey, we're making in. it. We're making questions for strong teams, so I'm gonna make you do both. <laughs> I'll jump in really quick and say that I have no idea, <laughs> mostly because I uh, just wrote a question that I used this last week uh, about potatoes. Potatoes being the fourth, <laughs> <laughs> the fourth most common, uh, or fourth whatever uh, garbage apples, food everyone crop over. in the world. Behind corn, wheat, and rice. Uh, but that doesn't help me at all figuring out what's most subsidized. But I still have rice and potatoes stuck in my head because of it. There is one, like one clarification. It's not per ton. It's just total subsidies, like total mm -hmm. amount of dollars, if that helps. Yeah, that, that locks in what I assume Jeff and I are definitely thinking of right now. Well, what is uh, that one? Uh, soybeans. Yes, that is one of them. Okay. Because they're they're used in lieu of sugar to sweeten so much stuff in the U.S., we we subsidize the hell out of soybean farmers for that reason. Mm -hmm. And in India, what the second crop is? Not a strong one. I'm going to throw sorghum out there just because it's mm. a fun word. Mm. Dude, get out of my brain. I literally was going to do exactly <laughs> that same thing. It's a little more ubiquitous than sorghum, but... Uh, sorghum is it, dumb. It's I'll a say little that. bit of a trick question. Not a trick question, but it's a... Amaranth. <laughs> it's like, I don't even know what that is. Wait, um, did you pull a me? Is it alf alpha? No, it isn't. I'm not that dastardly. 
I don't, know. I, I, no. I, I yeah. don't have a, a guess on this. I would absolutely uh, just the, say the only one on. caveat is that uh, not all crops are edible. Uh, it's cotton. Wow. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. The next one. So I didn't realize we were subsidizing cotton that much. Neither mm-hmm. did I. So yeah, it, based on the wording, you had gone that question correctly, and because I mean, you would have gotten half points, but. <laughs> We uh, soybeans and cotton were those two. Okay. Yeah, I learned a thing today. I like that one. A question that you get right that you feel confident of and you still learn a thing is is among the gems in the trivia world. I'd say. Yeah. All right, hey, Jason. Hey, I think no, you're the last I, I, one. I want to hear people yell at Calvin's oh, question because I'm being very generous. Today. Oh, I've got nothing to yell at. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it was definitely it was a good and fair question. I just didn't happen to know it. Well, balls. That means all the criticism is coming to me for this question. Then <laughs> We're saving it for you. Yeah. All right, here we go. A catch-22 that's going to resonate hard with our millennial and Zoomer listeners. Quote, how can I get an experience until I get a job that gives me experience? Is a question asked by character Brantley Foster, played by a young and foxy actor in what 1987 film? Oh, you son of a bitch. There it is. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> I, I I know I got this one. <laughs> I know the I know the act. See, I think uh, I know what you're alluding to, remember. Jeff, and I would argue it doesn't get you all the way there. I least. don't actually Exactly. So, is well that this, just confirms I know the actor, but I don't remember. I have like one guess, but I don't actually know. So you can tell me if I'm right or not. Is it risky business? Mm, that's not the one that I was thinking okay. of. Not, not with the actor that I have in mind. All right, so Jeff, if I say the actor, can you tell me if I'm right about that? Yes, maybe. Or if it, if it lines sure. up with your thought. Uh, yeah. Is this a, a, a Jason touching his nose for Michael J. Fox? Yes, it is. Okay. Still don't remember the title of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. If, if you know, you might just have to say it. Okay, if 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 nobody else has it, no, I can just go. I mean, I okay. have it. If that helps, <laughs> that's the the secret of Back my success. To the future. The secret oh. of <laughs> yeah, joking. The secret that... of my success is the correct answer. Jeff yeah. is right. That's... Good job on that one. And you, and you walk where he's like, he's in the mail room, right? Uh, more or less, yeah. Room and it's got like, yeah, interesting. Wow. I've never heard of that movie, so I'm learning something new as well. Huh. It's one of those generational things because I, I don't recall having seen that movie, but I definitely know of that movie and could probably s- tell you in one sentence what the plot is and be close. <laughs> See, on the flip side, I've definitely seen it, but one of those titles that just doesn't stick around, you know? Yeah, I'm not going to watch it, but if I ever see it, I'll be like, oh, that's the movie. <laughs> it, it's a quintessential '80s, you know, jump into corporate America and lift yourself up by your bootstraps style. It's it's Reagan the film. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can't believe that we went four completely different directions on Catch Twenty Two, and only one of us even went with the book. Yeah, yeah. It's I I did that on on purpose, and I'm I'm positive that probably at least another one of us decided that they weren't going to go with the book just because they didn't want four questions about the book that's 
my mentality on almost all of this is how could I go somewhere completely different on this? I figured I already wrote one that's not about the book. Might as well write one that is. Right. <laughs> I kept trying to find good like examples on Reddit of people coming up with catch 22s as like a logic thing. And I just, it kept being, how do you get a job that requires experience if you need the experience <laughs> to get the job? So I leaned into that and found that quote and I'm like, fine, it's pop culture. <laughs> Fuck you all. You don't get a logic trivia question. Not my fault. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was actually a little surprised that other than that, that one reference that uh, uh, none of us went with, you know, the, the logic of the, uh, the idiom. We're reading the book so, doesn't help you, basically. Oh, yeah. wait, there's a book? <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, it was a good set of questions tonight. Yeah, it was. I don't think there's there's any particular standout. I don't think there's any particular stinker. This is going to be an interesting vote, I think. And Calvin, how would they vote? Well, you can vote by going to quadriviapodcast.com and <laughs> submitting right. a poll, <laughs> <laughs> submitting answer for your favorite question this week. And if you want to send us any comments, maybe you have a catch-22 of your own to share with us, that's okay. You can email us at quadriviapod at gmail.com. Well done. Almost as though you cite Reddit. <laughs> I could hear him sounding out the name of the show he is a primary host on. You can go to Kawhi. I'm like, is it quadriviapod.com? No, that's not right. I have to go double check and make sure I don't say the wrong thing. Well, you can just oh. always uh, use the alternate. <laughs> oh, quadriviabuttface.net. Yeah, always yeah, forget that. <laughs> Fun fact my mother in law learned about that website existing yesterday. Okay. <laughs> the, the butt face link or the site in general uh the link for it okay so i then on a drive with her to uh her doctor had to explain why a professional trivia host and <laughs> entertainment brand master in spokane washington spent actual money dollars on quadriviabuttface.net because of jeff my explanation my explanation in its entirety seattle or I should say Washington, is weed legal. And that's all you need to know. <laughs> it's true. It's very right. true. Should we do some trivia and then uh, get on out of here? Hell yeah. Sounds good. Yay. Who's, who's bringing something to the table today, my friends? One, two, three, I've got it. something. <laughs> I mean, no, nah, nah, I've got it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, and it, this is actually one that, that is uh, somewhat relevant to what we were talking about. Kind of an equalizer round. I'm going to do a, a true or false for you. Boo. Um, <laughs> but it's, I do not expect you or anybody else to actually know this information. Um, you're not likely to be familiar with it. You'll just be able to uh, reason out an answer or if nothing else, you got a 50-50 shot. I got uh, my lucky coin here next to me. Let's do this. This true or false round is called according to a study. Uh, so I'm going to tell you about a study and you're going to tell me if it's true or false. Okay. However, any part of the question, for the most part, could be the false part. Uh, it could be that the entire study is totally made up or it could be a real study, but it found different results than what I tell you oh about. Oh my gosh. But... I'll, I'll just tell you right now, I'm not going to like trick you with the numbers. I'm not okay. going to say a study in 1999 
and then be like, ah, I was in 2000, idiots. Or What's, what's so wrong okay. with that? Yeah, or I won't be like, 85% of people did this when it was really 80. So like the numbers are not going to mess you with. Mm-hmm. It's basically either different results were found or the study itself is entirely made up. That I expect said, a cited source for every true of them. Just I'm going to need bit. three independent <laughs> fact check forces, uh, mm-hmm. sources because trust me, you need three independent fact check sources. On I will say, I did, I did fact check all of them. Um, I don't have the sources available, but <laughs> maybe if I uh, smoke the right weed before uploading this episode, I will have the energy to put those in the, uh, the show notes or on the website. Probably not, though. Probably not. Let's get started. Number one. According to a 10-year study of over 20,000 participants, for every year a couple spends together, there is a consistent 3% increase in likelihood that one of them will cheat on the other one. Is that true or false? Hmm. So I, I have some initial thoughts on this, and one is that that consistency seems real iffy to me. Uh, because I feel like it would be more of a staggered curve over for, time. Like it would for every year it goes up average. by 3%. Yeah. I, I can't imagine that being kind of a straight line increase. And two, if we're interpreting the numbers on this, 60% chance after 20 years. And that seems yeah, either that seems... high or people are being very, very dishonest. Yeah. I, I My gut is is same. I'd say false on that. I'll go Just, with that. Yeah. Let's say false. Let's call it bullshit and be wrong. Well, you are correct. It is false. Uh, it was totally made up. There, <laughs> there was no 10-year study of 20,000 participants. It was false. <laughs> Number two. According to a 2018 study, 65% of Americans believe they are smarter than the average person. And roughly one-third of them strongly agree that they are smarter than the average person. Is that true or false? It's gotta be higher than that. 40% of people are gonna be like, yeah, I'm dumber than the average person. <laughs> yeah, but he also said that the numbers weren't gonna think that's weren't gonna be the thing that screw us on this. That feels so true. Sure. I mean, it's true unless it's the wrong percentage. I I, I mean, I should rephrase. I think it would be true unless it was the wrong percentage. Yeah, I, I think true as well. I, the the pin for me on this one would be like, what were their options? Like, mm-hmm. I can I can see a good amount of p- people saying I'm on average intellect with other people my age. You know, I could see people saying that as opposed to are you smarter or dumber than everybody else? It depends on how it's worded. So I'd say true for this one. Yeah, that's yeah, actually that's why I, I threw that last uh, line on there, too, was to kind of give you an idea of how the the judging was. It was strongly agree agree neutral disagree or strongly disagree mm. so let's say true yeah i think we'll say true In, if anything i feel like 65 percent is low not high <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh well it is true okay. uh but now mind you this also brings up a really interesting point which is probably an entire episode in the future uh but just because a 2018 study found that doesn't mean there's not other studies that found different or that it hasn't been, mm-hmm. you know, disproven since then. Uh, which again just makes this a great equalizer. I feel like it you're could be very fucking anything. Nerdy teams will 
be especially annoyed at this due to oh, yeah. a lack of clear details and oh, yeah, a lack you're... of credible studies. Yeah. You are <laughs> pinning down sociology, the thing that ought never be done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and this that also goes back to something that we've talked about in previous episodes where if it's not something that people are really going to know, you know, reasonably, then make it fun. And I, I wanted mm. this to just be fun stuff. Embrace uh, the wild card. Exactly. Embrace. Lean in, chaos. baby. Chaos. <laughs> chaos shall reign. All right, let's try number three. According to a study in 2013, 95% of people don't wash their hands properly. Any I should also year? preface the entire round with, a, like, I didn't just take, you know, a people magazine study like i i these were actual like, peer-reviewed journal published scientific studies then to, to the best of my ability to, right. as far as i could find yeah i'll say this uh, one's true because scientists have a very high standard of hand washing properly especially and what is it like you have to get like all the nooks and crannies of your fingers single yeah. row your boat whatever it is nail nail beds and stuff like that yeah full confession i don't do that so I am part of the 95% if it's a true study. Wait, you don't just lick the palms clean? <laughs> do you do that no. before or after the no, soap? You, you wipe <laughs> the palms on your pants and you lick the fingers. That's what uh... it is. They, they made a whole chicken about that. Uh, I think we, if we learned anything in 2020, it's that people don't know how to wash their GD hands. So I'm going <laughs> to yeah. definitely agree that this is true. And I'm going to be very, very sad when it is. Uh, same agree. True. It is true. It is true. Yep. Yeah, that, that, that feels wrongly right. Uh, there was another one that I found while uh, verifying that study and results that was done early COVID, um, like April or something, that found 40% of people still don't wash their hands after going to the bathroom. Oh, oh come on. This, this yeah. is how you get ants, or more accurately <laughs> and more morbidly, this is how you don't get ants. Let's move on. Number four, according to a 2019 study done by the University of Oregon, people are 84% more likely to trust a business they've never heard of if it has a smiling mascot. <sighs> First gut instinct is to call bullshit on this one. Sounds too made up. Or it sounds, sounds a little too made up. Almost like it was massaged to be plausible. Yeah, I, but at the same time, there's a part of there's a part of me that's like you don't see too many mascots that aren't smiling, so maybe there's a reason for that. I, you know, I'm I'm okay going false on it just on game theory. Like we've had a couple trues in a row, it makes sense <laughs> to have a false sometime around here. But but hear me but, out on this, Jeff, real quick, and maybe it'll cement it to you. Yeah, have you ever heard of a University of Oregon? <laughs> I guess I guess yeah. <laughs> okay, I guess that's fair. Hey, I found the duck. Yeah. <laughs> Ducks can't smile, though. <laughs> Penguins can't fly. <laughs> All right, so we're locking in false? Yeah, sure. I think so. Yeah, I, yeah. That one is actually false. Yay! Yay, we yeah. did a thing. Uh, let's try number five. Let's see if I can stump you on any of these. You've gotten them all right so far, haven't you? We know you too, Al Corey. <laughs> Are we going to throw shade at the Oregon Ducks on this one too? Yeah. <laughs> or the the what Ducks? Isn't the Oregon Ducks? Oregon, yeah. yeah. The Alpha I mean, Alpha the... Ducks? <laughs> Oregon. Uh, oh, Reagan, we talked about you before. Number five, according to a study done in the 90s, 
Children from rich families will hear an average of roughly 2,100 words per hour, with children of families in poverty hearing an average of roughly 600 words per hour. Is this true or false? Uh, and a clarification here, there was only three options, uh, rich families, working class families, and families in poverty. So you want my meta fact on this? Yep. Anytime a host goes out of their way to clarify their wording on a true false, it is for a very specific reason. And that's because they need to pin down why it's definitely true or why it's inarguably false. And this is leaning towards true to me. Also, that makes a lot of sense. I, I actually, I didn't provide that think clarification so? earlier. This is like just, with television, though. This was just because of the uh, the question earlier about the options with the strongly agree. I was just trying to be nice mm. to you. <laughs> yeah like my only apprehension is they would have a tv going basically all day yeah what counts as hearing a word is it literally just the a act human of being hearing... word or is it yeah any well, bear in word? mind too this was the 90s he didn't say when in the 90s and cable mm -hmm. was not cheap in the 90s so maybe yeah, i guess it's true people being babysat by the tv uh depending on the the sub part of that decade isn't as much of an uh, a, a wingable thing here uh, as I can't yeah. finish a sentence, but yeah, uh, <laughs> TV bad. Talk to your kids. And I think that rich families would tend to talk to their kids a lot more or hire people who would hire someone to do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's say true, but I'd be really, it'd be really humorous if you like reverse the numbers or something like that. That'd be, I would, I would not be shocked if we were wrong on this, though. This is the one I have the least thunder yeah. on, I think. True. Let's say true. This is one that I almost didn't include, uh, but it is true. However, there is a lot of discussion about uh, the significance of those results and whether there actually is significance, <laughs> uh, as it was originally implying that... Uh, kids from rich families wind up hearing more words and, and having more interaction and as such are in a better place to learn mm -hmm. and grow and have a higher education. Um, that's all up in the air, but it was a study done and they did find there's about a 30 million word gap Jesus. by the age of three. In, in, in the 90s, though, that's yeah. 30 years ago, almost 30 years ago. No, because that would make me... 34. Shit. Number six. <laughs> Number six, according to a collaborative study done between MIT and Google, nearly 80% of internet traffic in the US from May to October of this year was done by people not wearing pants. Is that true or false? <laughs> it's hilarious. There's no way this study exists. Yeah, this is yeah, this is false. Unless yeah. pants has a very strict definition in which a lot of appropriate clothing is not included. Here, here's my thought: if anybody, if any entity had this information to put out this announcement, it's not MIT, it's not Google, it's whoever <laughs> owns Zoom or Logitech or <laughs> the pants data is not something MIT has and something I hope Google doesn't. <laughs> I'd be surprised if they well, don't. Well, I guess we're saying false, and we're ready to hear the hammer fall. But but hold on, let's do a straw poll real quick. Uh, how many of the hosts on this podcast right now are currently wearing pants? Pajama pants are pants, right? Yep. Sure. 
I'm wearing yes, shorts that aren't gym on. shorts. They have like a belt. I'm wearing <laughs> shorts that pants. are gym shorts. <laughs> I am also wearing pants, but I wasn't when I wrote this round. <laughs> <laughs> so at best, we're at about a 12 and a half percent. I think it's false. It is false. It was a made up study. Yeah. <laughs> Number seven. Speaking of pants, according to a study done by YouGov this year, nearly half of all people working from home are pantsless. Are we game bearing this one? More inclined to agree this one. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah. We say but true. you know what? No, it's no, funny. It's, it's, Unless it's, you make up two pants facts back to back. God, that's such a Corey me? thing. God, <laughs> I, I want to say false only because I know the host on this. And I do. I play to that. People expect something from me, and I uh, like you to subvert turn it the around. trope. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm okay with true on this one. Uh, Calvin, what do you think? Because I'm really on the fence. I'd rather say true and be able to yell at Corey than be false and not be able to yell at Corey. <laughs> <laughs> right. So how about this? I'm going to agree with the team, but I will do so under protest because I actually <laughs> think this is false. But I will go it's with made the team. up. It's got to be made up. I get to yell at Corey if it's made up. It true. is true. Oh, it is true. Yeah. You're taking my fun away. <laughs> well, I'll take I mean, my take protest ball and, and have go fun home. again. All right. Let's go on to number eight. Uh, according to a study by UNICEF, 23% of schools in the world have no toilets. That's a big percentage of schools to not have toilets. And I don't know if that's a good thing to help us figure out this answer or a bad thing because it's true i think it's true i think I it's true, true too yeah i'm gonna be real happy when it's false but i think it's true it's true it is true ah 23 uh, percent of schools globally have no toilets at all uh and one in three do not have adequate toilets mm -hmm. so uh but let's leave detroit out of this yeah, right. <laughs> um <laughs> Okay. Number nine. <laughs> there goes our entire mission fan base. <laughs> Sorry, Jim. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Number nine. According to 16 studies done between 1927 and 2001, 92% of people who see another person wearing the same thing, uh, either partially or completely, as them will judge the other person negatively. 92% of people who see somebody wearing the same thing that they are will judge that other person negatively. Oh, I want to say false just because of personal anecdotes, right? Like, yeah, if I see a guy wearing the same band shirt as I do at a, at a concert, we're like, hey, high five. You know, yeah. if somebody we're else like, is wearing their Catch-22 shirt. <laughs> this is 16 studies across 74 years, he would have you believe. Yeah, I, yeah. I would say false. Right. There's, yeah. a lot of, there's a lot of wonky numbers in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going with well, false. false. There were 16 studies done between 1927 and 2001, and they did find how much time people were spending in traffic waiting to park. But <laughs> they did not find out whether or not uh, they judged the other person negatively. That is false. So you made up the first part. Oh, sorry. You had the first part from a real source, and then you just made up the facts of yes. the studies. Okay. Yes. Uh, I'll, I'll turn and, to facts, man. Uh, off the top of my, I'm probably going to mess this up a little bit, but I, I believe it was something, the, the actual study uh, found something like 
80% of congestion in a downtown area is coming from people uh, driving around trying to find a parking spot. Someone who lives in San Francisco, I completely Jeez. believe that. Right? <laughs> uh, I believe that was one of the major uh, points where they did the study, actually. So, yeah, but that one is false. You guys are now nine for nine. Uh, well, I'm eight for nine. I will. I will own that. I went. Yeah, but you were <laughs> but on as a team, team on a with team. a strong yeah. team that can discuss and work things out together. <laughs> I just want and sometimes to ignore the, right the naysayers. <laughs> <laughs> Your team is uh, carrying you. That's what they're there for. Yay! Let's see team. if you can finish this one. Perfect. 100% here. We're going to be jinxed it, but go ahead. Number 10. According to a study published in March of 2019, mosquitoes sucked more blood and had more sex after listening to the song Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites by Skrillex in 10-minute spurts compared to mosquitoes left in silence. Okay. Oh, my God. So, if I'm remembering this correctly... I believe I read a headline with exactly that information in it, I, but I could be wrong. It could be the opposite that they don't like the music and do not those things. But I distinctly remember hearing something about mosquitoes and Skrillex. But but Jeff, have you heard that song? It slaps. Of course, the mosquitoes are DT. It is a banger. It. It's a banger. So I believe that that is true. I am unapologetically throwing my hat in on true on this. <sighs> true. Well, as Jason said, that song does slap, and mosquitoes hate being slapped. It is false. It was the opposite uh, find, finding. They oh, no. less sex. It's the opposite. Less sex and less blood sucking after listening to that song. But it was a real study. Well, I know I'm so playing good on job remembering trip. That. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nine for 90, 10. I'll 90%. take it. 90%. That's yeah, I'd be yeah. that. Yeah. What the what the Nothing. hell is the mosquito species having its dubstep? I think it's <laughs> just Skrillex. They like everything else. Yeah. <laughs> How do they feel about the Nicki Minaj collaboration? That's the important question. <laughs> oh God. Uh, I will ask. I'll see if I can. That's the find. next study. That's <laughs> yeah, the next <laughs> set of PhD. How do they feel doctors. about Bangarang? <laughs> But so now that now that I've gone through all 10 of these, a uh, little bit of feedback from you guys really quick. Mm -hmm. As far as an equalizer round goes, what do you think? How did I do on uh, kind of taking it away from the, the academic approach, at least? Well, we are collectively very dumb men and we got nine out of 10. So I would say so far, so good. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's Perfect. only I think there's only one or two of them where we could apply like outside knowledge in any capacity to get into a place where we could get a positive lean one way or the other. I think that's just us getting lucky. A lot of it. Yeah. And even yeah. then in one, in one of those cases, the outside knowledge, uh, did the old about face. <laughs> yeah. It did the opposite. <laughs> it's like, I remember this headline, but in bizarro land. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a good one. Have it. All right. Well, see you guys later. Yep. This was fun. <laughs> Let's do it again. Maybe next week. Uh, yeah, we? Same time, same place. Uh, yeah, sounds good. Well, maybe not for me. We're, we're still not sure where I'm going to be. Uh, but Jeff, if people want to find you after uh, this episode, where and how and when would they do that? 
You can find me uh, at most of the social places at RMT Trivia uh, and streaming on Twitch on Wednesday nights at twitch.tv slash RMT Trivia. How about you, Calvin? Where can they find you? You can find me at footnotetrivia.com. I do a weekly Zoom game. You can sign up there. <laughs> How about you, Jason? Where can they find you? I'm being consistent. <laughs> Well, Jason, they can find you uh, seven nights and a couple days a week and occasional random times at twitch.tv slash liquid underscore courage or on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash liquid courage, all with a K. It's okay if you have one of them. Okay. And on that note, I'm Corey uh, with Third Degree Entertainment. You can find me at thirddegreeentertainment.com. Uh, and on Monday nights, you can come play trivia with me, 7.30 p.m. Pacific time at twitch.tv slash thirddegreeentertainment. Uh, as for all of us, uh, Quadrivia in general, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, keyword challenges that you want to suggest, or anything else, shoot us an email at quadriviapod at gmail.com. You can also hit us up uh, at QuadriviaPod on Twitter or QuadriviaPod on Facebook. And of course, don't forget to stop by the website QuadriviaPodcast.com or QuadriviaButtFace.net to look at the very low effort posts that I write about each episode and to vote on the keyword challenge. Hey, those are high quality posts that you think of uh, to vape pens and an edible in. Uh, anybody know how to end this episode? Yeah, uh, disconnect. Okay, Joe, you want to say bye? Bye! That was crazy. (laughs) Just a regular goodbye. Okay, fine, bye. Oh, I don't use vape pens. Oh, I'm I, sorry. I, yeah, I smoke it old school. <laughs> or I uh, eat. Or I eat edibles. <laughs> that's that's the real right takeaway from this podcast: is be be a Sasquatch and do drugs. Salted caramel chocolate balls right now. <laughs>